Well, welcome to the Get Fit with Jodell podcast. I am, as usual, Jodell, and this guy needs no introduction. You guys, when I reached out for questions for you, you guys all know who Georgie Dinkoff is, and I'm super excited to have him back because it's been a while. We used to love to regularly podcast, so this is a really big treat for me to finally our schedules worked out to where we could do a really great podcast specifically a podcast because Georgie as most of you know has an incredible line of supplements called Idea Labs I myself use them and I recommend them to my clients and so there's a lot of questions that I get about certain products that Georgie has and so we're going to break those down today and just talk about the benefits and the ingredients and just the really great um, whole line of supplements if we can get to all of them, we will. But that way you guys will have a really good guess education about how his line of supplements can improve your health and what to look for when you're on his website and go, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. And this is a product that according to Georgie, this could really help my, you know, mitochondria or my gut or my brain or whatever it is. So we're going to dive right into that. But Georgie, welcome. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming back. Thanks for inviting me back. I think it's been, what, almost two years since the last time we uh, spoke? Yeah, yeah. Probably. So it's great to see you and have you on. So let's start, um, for those that don't know you, just start by sharing your passion with why you created this line of products and why, in general, you're just so passionate about health. That's what I love about you. Uh, it really goes back to uh, the metabolic theory of health, which basically says that we should look at the organism as a system. Uh, any health problem, even though it might seem isolated or it might get diagnosed as an isolated problem, let's say in your liver or your joints or your heart or your or even mental health, right? Uh, the, uh, ultimately, it comes down to basically a problem of insufficient energy, insufficient energy production uh, from the food that we're ingesting. Um, and many people say, well, I eat a lot of food. You know, how come I'm not generating all, all the energy that I need? Uh, well, I mean, there are, you know, there's, there are these very intricate mechanisms inside the cell. Uh, they're actually, they're, they're called the mitochondria. And most of the, basically the high energy synthesis that we need to really live uh, and maintain our structure happens there. So many things can happen with aging or with specific foods or with assaults from the environment, such as radiation, pollution, endocrine disruptors, pharma drugs that were being prescribed. Really, like, you know, it's just a multitude of, of assaults or enemies out there. They can they can disrupt this process. So you can be eating a lot of food, but instead of converting it into energy, um, we convert it into fatty tissue, and that's probably a problem that many of your uh, listeners will like know firsthand about. It's just that according to the studies, thirty um, percent uh, of the Western population is is obese, and it's not because they're consuming more calories. In fact, if you look at the caloric intake, we're eating less calories. Absolutely. Than what the fewer calories than what people were eating back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. So there's something about our diet, and it's not the energy in versus energy out. It's really that's the problem. In fact, we actually even exercise more, especially the young urban, the yuppies, the, the young urban uh, educated population. They exercise more, they eat less, and they're still gaining weight. Like what's going on here? Mm. Um, well, it, it turns out it's just the composition of the diet, and many of these things that I mentioned are interfering with this mechanism of producing energy from food. So instead of converting it into energy and having this energetic life and healthy life um, and really desire for life, we're basically like turning into these fat blobs um, and we're hopping from one doctor to the other. Um, and the only thing that the doctor can do is because that's how medicine is structured these days is to diagnose a specific problem because when you go to a, to a doctor, they have basically, let's say 200 different specialties. So the goal of really of the 
the general practitioner is to give you this battery of tests and kind of dis discover which specific areas of your health are problematic and then kind of forward you to these you know specialists that are responsible each for one of these areas let's say you have a liver problem they're going to send you to a hepatologist or let's say you have like a joint problem they're going to send you to a, you know um, uh, what's it called the orthopedics person right mm -hmm. or you have a problem with your digestion they're going to send you to a gi doctor uh, and before you know it, basically, especially if you have more than, you know, more than, a, you know, one or two problems, you're seeing these five or 10 different specialists, they're all prescribing different drugs. Some of them got from, I mean, they may even ask you to do surgery or, you know, you know, whatever procedures that, th that they're doing, they have every incentive to give you more drugs and more procedures because they make money, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a for-profit thing. And it's not necessarily wrong that it's a for-profit thing, but they have an incentive to not send you away without giving you something so that you can come back. So they need you as a repeated client. Um, and, and the other problem with this is that basically it's a reductive approach. Basically it says that, well, um, if you have a problem with your liver, uh, let's say the, you know, you were given all these battery, battery, this big battery of tests, many different doctors saw you and they can only see a problem with your liver. So then they tell you, okay, only your liver is diseased. So now we're going to send you to a hepatologist and you're going to work with a hepatologist or a GI doctor. Sometimes they treat liver problems too. Uh, and that's your problem. You don't have to worry about anything else. Uh, and, and, you know, this path of, of uh, you know, ever-increasing reductionism has been going on for the last, I would say, almost 100 years. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, so far, it has not gotten us a single cure of a serious disease. Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, depression. None of these things are curable. They're all gotten to the point of where they're basically manageable. That's what, right. that's what medicine really wants now. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, you know, the metabolic theory, which is kind of like the opposite of that, it tries to go basically like bottom up versus top down, which is the reduction approach. The metabolic theory says, look, in the absence of any evidence to the contrary, because your organism is a system, every disease should be viewed as systemic disease. Right. And I think this can be best seen into the cases of cancer, because let's say you have like a localized cancer to one organ, doctors almost always will offer to operate on the organ, right? They'll, they'll get the tumor out. But in virtually all of the cases, within a few years, the tumor not only comes back, but it spreads to many other organs as well. It metastasizes, right? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of showing that that whatever the problem with the original tumor was, even though it was localized to a specific organ, your entire body was in a situation that is actually amenable to allowing this tumor to go into many different organs. And the metabolic theory says, yes, it's because it is a systemic problem. It's a problem of low energy. Maybe one organ has, you know, particularly low levels of energy. So that's where the tumor starts first. But because it's a systemic problem, the entire body is capable now of, of basically hosting a cancer. So if you push it further down the stress route, which is what cancer, which is what surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation do, then basically the body, all the other organs that are in low, low in energy too, will say, I can host a tumor cell as well. So the same is true of non-cancerous diseases as well. If you have a liver problem, it should not be treated as strictly a liver problem because guess what? The liver actually depends on other organs for its survival. Mm -hmm. It depends on the bloodstream for bringing nutrients in. It also depends on bile for getting the toxins out. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends on the gastrointestinal tract, not letting in endotoxin from the gastrointestinal tract because that endotoxin actually damages the liver. So nothing can be looked at in isolation. And that's what a metabolic theory does. It says... Okay, every problem that we've, that we've looked, at, looked at so far, and that, that covers virtually every single named disease, whether it's uh, you know cardiovascular disease, again, diabetes, obesity, Parkinson, cancer, Alzheimer's, every single disease that we have looked at from a metabolic point of view, 
without exception, without a single exception, has always the results have always come back saying, uh, you know, in this disease there is mitochondrial dysfunction and there is reduced synthesis of ATP and reduced levels of so-called oxidative phosphorylation. In other words, using oxygen to oxidize the food that is coming in, right, um, and producing energy in the process. In every disease that we've looked at, whether it's infectious or chronic disease, invariably we've always found problems with energy. So with with the, with the production of energy. So metabolic theory says, don't focus so much on your specific problem in that specific organ. Treat the system as energetically deficient and try to restore systemic energy production. Uh, so all of these products that we have, they kind of have this underlying goal of helping energy production. But because the nutrients in them are different or the chemicals inside of them are different, they have some varying degrees of more specific effects, uh, such as let's say the, you have a, a product uh, c- 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 composed of the B vitamins uh, and it's called energy, right? Why? Well, because every single one of these vitamins is, is participates as a cofactor uh, in this energy cascade of producing energy from food. Um, and then we have another one called estroban. Well, estroban, I guess it suggests that it can help with estrogen excess. Well, what does it consist of? It's not uh, a synthetic antiestrogen such as clomiphene or tamoxifene that women with breast cancer get, but it contains the vitamin E, vitamin A, vitamin D, and vitamin K. All, every single one of these vitamins has been shown in both in vitro, meaning cellular cultures, and in vivo, meaning living organisms, including humans, has demonstrated um, you know, anti-estrogenic effects uh, through one or more mechanisms. So when you combine all four, all, all four together, these four vitamins tend to have an anti-estrogenic effect, hence the name estromat, right? But uh, then the question was like, okay, so one of them, you know, maybe helps with the estrogen, the other one is energy. How does this relate to the metabolic theory? Well, estrogen is a key um, villain, so to speak, uh, or at least in excess. Uh, excessive estrogen is a key villain in metabolic theory because estrogen actually interferes with the function of your mitochondria. So we don't want excess estrogen. I mean, menopausal women know very well, the doctors have warned them, don't eat estrogenic foods, be careful, come here so we can do the mammogram or the, or the breast exam at least once a year. I think it's now twice a year because they're worried about breast cancer, estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it turns out that, you know, estrogen is not only dangerous for breast cancer, it, it and the reason, by the way, it causes breast cancer is precisely through its anti-energetic effects. It basically... It puts your, uh, it forces your cells to forego the highly differentiated complex way of producing energy from food through oxidative phosphorylation, and forces your cell to behave as primitive bacteria or even amoebas or yeast, and only rely on the so-called process of glycolysis, which is one of the three steps in production of energy. And in that process, that is actually the energetic of uh, um, fingerprint or footprint of cancer. Uh, you know, and you don't have to have cancer to have cancer metabolism. And I think this is a great example of the fact that basically, you know, the problems with your metabolism come first and only then you get like a localized problem such as cancer in a specific organ. So if we, in theory, if we can at least correct the the, uh, energetic problems that are starting with from the very beginning, we shouldn't be able, we shouldn't be getting to that later point where the body degenerates to the point that basically starts forming tumors in certain tissues. and every single product that we have, even though it, it's composed of ingredients that have, you know, some specific effects on a specific metabolite, a hormone, receptor, or enzyme, the overall uh, uh, goal of every single product is to improve the, the production of energy, the oxidative production of energy from food. 
Uh, and there are many different pathways that interfere with that production of energy, oxidative production of energy for food. And then basically uh, the products, the products that we have basically attack or at least uh, modulate these different pathways that it can fear that it can interfere with the production of energy. And there are many, there's several of them. That's why we have several products. Um, you know, basically, uh, I, I don't know if there's a product that can affect all of them at the same time. Perhaps the only two that come close are probably thyroid hormone, vitamin D, uh, and progesterone for women. And I would say progesterone and testosterone and pregnant alone for men. Uh, so those basically are probably as, as generic, as top level as it gets with the thyroid hormone sitting at the very top, because that is the general conductor, the master conductor of your entire metabolic process. Uh, the thyroid receptors, thyroid hormone receptors are expressed in every cell, which means every cell is under the control of thyroid hormone. Right. So starting from with thyroid from the top, then we have several layers further down, but not way too low, which is where the pharma drugs are, because the pharma drug, uh, the pharma, the pharmaceutical mantra is one problem, one drug, one mechanism, one enzyme, one receptor. That's at the very bottom. That's extreme reductionism. We are at, let's say, seven or eight layers above where we basically say one or two or three ingredients, right? And we cover maybe 20 different pathways uh, because we're trying to get as close as possible to the top, which is where the thyroid hormone is, which says, you know, basically I control everything in regards to energy through basically these specific receptors in the cell. So you you could develop a synthetic version of thyroid hormone that does that. And in fact, pharma companies have already recognized the, the potential for that. Of, of such drugs, and now they're developing synthetic thyroid hormone agonists that are different in structure from the natural thyroid hormones T3 and T4. Uh, uh, but since we don't, we, we're not working on those receptors. We're basically saying, okay, if thyroid controls cortisol, estrogen, aldosterone, histamine, serotonin, etc., uh, uh, even though we're not able to directly act as thyroid and control it the more, we can actually control those pathways. Through different chemicals so we're acting like thyroid even though the the substances are not exactly thyroid oh okay so i don't have to explain your passion i think you just explained it with everything you said because you can tell that this guy's done his research and he's very passionate about making products that will actually help people and i love that um yeah i want to unpack something that you said because i i have always felt like things like um cancer diabetes all the main issues of today, even heart disease, I view them more as a symptom. Now, mainstream medicine sees them as a diagnosis, but aren't they just a symptom of, like you mentioned, that orchestra is out of balance. The system yep. itself is out of balance, right? Yep, it's all balance. And, and in a specific organ, which maybe happens to be the most energetically compromised, mm -hmm. that's where it first manifests, right? Mm -hmm. So exactly. So everything, every named disease that medicine has convinced us, it exists in isolation, and it can be treated in isolation without touching anything else, which is absurd. Every every cell in the body talks to every other cell in the body. Right, it's, right. That has already been proven chemically and electromagnetically. Uh, but because medicine cannot handle this complexity, they're saying, no, 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 no. We cannot, of course, nobody, the, the expression they have is nobody can boil the ocean. So what do they do? They take a scoop of water from the ocean and then they try to boil that, which is basically the equivalent of, oh, you have a problem on your left ear and that problem is only in your left ear. So we're going to treat only your left ear. And if there's any other problem that, that arises out of our treatment, well, that's, you know, that's a risk we call accept, right? You sign off on the disclaimer form that it's entirely your responsibility. The doctor is only recommending. Uh, I don't need to tell you, your listeners that if you go to a doctor's office, the doctor is very rarely recommending. They're usually ordering 
yeah. even though they're not the ones signing off on the disclaimer. Now, I'll be perfectly fine with orders, but if the doctor signs off on the disclaimer form says that if this doesn't work or makes me worse, it's the doctor's responsibility. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You sign off that you, in your, you know, uh, out of your volition, decided that you accept all of the risks with the things that the doctor, quote unquote, recommends, while in reality they're being yelled at. They're being yelled at you, right? These all these orders, they're backed at you. And then there's not, not much you can do. If you try to argue with your doctor, they very often will not even, you know, tolerate this. And they'll either say, find a different doctor or uh, worse, since the pandemic started, informed consent has been suspended in many states. They may even, if you're in the hospital, go, be, go behind your back and administer the treatment anyways, even without you agreeing to it. Uh, anyways, really, that's really the situation that we're in. So if you have a heart problem, and medicine has kind of already realized that, that people with heart problems, they call them comor comorbidities. Mm -hmm. It is almost unheard of for a person with heart disease, which should be localized, and it should be only specific to the heart. It's unheard of for a person with heart disease to not have at least three or four or five or up to 10 other comorbidities. Correct. Uh, hypertension, kidney disease, uh, atherosclerosis, mm -hmm. high cholesterol, high cortisol, high estrogen, all of these things. And, and basically medicine says, oh, excellent. I can send you to a specialist for every single one of them. So you are basically not even 24 hours in a day will be enough to see all of these doctors if you have to reduce the heart disease to all of its components and then treat each one of them specific uh, individually. Now, even if it was possible, these doctors, they don't, they don't talk to each other. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to doctors because of my kids for the annual examinations and whatnot. And basically we go from one doctor to the other and each doctor will try to prescribe something without even looking at the chart, without even checking the medical record. What did the other doctor prescribe? Um, there was this show back in the, uh, well, I probably don't need to announce it. The, it was called Sex in the City, mm -hmm. uh, the actual TV show. Mm -hmm. There was an actor that uh, towards the end of the show got married to the character Charlotte. Um, and basically, I think he's a lawyer or something. In real life, that person got leukemia. Uh, and I have to send you the, uh, it's an article on CNN. And he basically said, uh, you have to get really sick to understand what a fraud, you know, basically modern medicine is. He said, I would have died at least four or five times had I not fought tooth and nail with the nurses in the hospital and the doctors because of how many times they actually try to administer to him the wrong treatment. So even the things that was prescribed to him, they couldn't get that right. They were basically trying to infuse a different type of chemotherapy, and he read basically just like me he started reading stuff online and said oh my god this study says that if you infuse the wrong kind of chemotherapy to a person with my condition it will, immune, it will, it will cause even further immune suppression and these people or the vast majority of them died so he argues with the nurses and argues with the doctors but they're conditioned to overrule you because who are you the layman to argue with them and he basically said four or five times in a matter of a week being in a hospital he said he would have been most likely killed had he not argued tooth and nail with those doctors and basically got him thrown out of the department. I think he was a hematology department or whatever it was when he was inpatient for about a week. He got thrown out of the department because of being disruptive. They said, we cannot tolerate this. You're, you know, you either, you either do as we say, or you get out of here. Yeah. Um, and it, it was very telling. He said, you know, after that, he basically says, I treat going to the doctor as basically dealing with a wild animal. It's unpredictable. It cannot be reasoned with. 
and you always have to watch your back. <laughs> yeah, I know that makes complete sense. And that's what I hear in my practice. People are coming to nutrition because they're like, I went to my doctor for this issue, but they didn't offer me anything. They said, there's nothing we can do to help you. And I think that's why it's so important that people are educated and doing their research like you've done on these products and on these, like you said, they're simple nutrients like estroban is vitamin A, D, E, and K. These are things that our, our bodies systemically can benefit from not just with estrogen, they benefit in so many other ways. So that's why people really have to become their own healers and do their own diligence to understand a product and understand what their body's needing. I call it kind of bio understanding, like bio biohacking. Biohacking. Yeah. yeah. And understand your body is different from somebody else's body and the issue that you're dealing with might have a specific need. And that's why I want to break down these products today so that people listening to this, whatever they're dealing with, they might hear a nugget of what we're going to talk about and go, Okay, well, maybe I'll try that. Now, your products specifically are more topical, right? But they can be taken orally, sure. correct? Yes. So basically, because of the license that we have, in order to produce orally licensed products, you need to get a special place that's basically licensed to produce food because the dietary supplements in the United States are treated as basically food additives, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in addition to that, there's something called uh, a CGMP certification, which costs a lot of money. Um, if you have to do it yourself, it costs probably up to $100,000 to get certified and then an additional 20,000 a year to maintain the certification. We're nowhere near that volume. I mean, this is more of a hobby than anything else to me. I have a day job, you know, and, uh, you know, I do this because I like it. And I think that's, that, that's really the key here. You have to do things that you like. Um, uh, as a side, side anecdote, because uh, uh, I used to be, I mean, I still, I'm still in the IT business, but I used to be in the more of the, the startup scene. Uh, there are these studies that show that um, almost every, Unicorn company, as they call it, which is like a company that reached a billion dollar valuation within a year of going public, almost every single unic unicorn company in the States or worldwide uh, was actually started as a hobby. Um, I don't know of, of actually of a successful company that reached unicorn status that was started by business people getting together in a room and deciding to come up with something that makes money. I mean, who likes that? It just sounds so boring, right? <laughs> it, there's so many things in life. And I think a great another great example is love. Is basically like when you look at two people, uh, let's let's call it logically. People will say there's no way these people can match with you know to, with each other, right? Yeah, but when love is involved, you can see people that are completely incompatible in theory or in logic, but they love each other to death, and that's the way it is, right? So miracles do happen, and what I'm trying to say with this is that basically you need to trust your gut instinct. Another study, actually a formal study, came out said that compared. Two types of patients. One, the patients that went with what their doctor said, and then the patients that went with what the gut feeling was. And the patients who basically felt that they that something wasn't right, that the doctor wasn't helping, they kept digging, they kept, of course, annoying the doctor or found a new doctor and whatnot. They fared drastically better over the long run because it turns out that their feeling that something isn't right with them was much more accurate than the doctor's objective tests. Because you know, the doctor doesn't know, does cannot feel the way you feel. So all the doctor can do is go by external symptoms and maybe whatever you describe to the doctor and order some biomarkers. Guess what? Biomarkers are not infallible. Biomarkers can be normal when you're abnormal. Right. Biomarkers can be abnormal when you're normal, right? right. It's, it's really like a long-term kind of thing of how you feel and what do you feel, you know, like, uh, you know, um, <laughs> having a grip on it, so to speak. Um, and what do you feel? The, you have the energy to basically face the world every day. Those kind of like generic, non-specific woo-woo uh, things that the doctors call uh, turn out to be much more accurate predictors of long-term health 
um, and how people fare than the doctor's objective test. So listen to your heart and your and, and your mind and your eyes and your ears. If something doesn't feel right, then you have every right to investigate it. And if the doctor keeps trying to gaslight you that you're perfectly fine, but you feel like crap, then then I I mean I'm not suggesting anything. I'm saying the study says that those people who did not listen to the doctor but listened to themselves did much better. Yeah. Yeah. Symptoms don't lie. You know, blood work can be a snapshot in a week and a month yeah. and a day, but symptoms don't lie. So if you've got these mm -hmm. ongoing symptoms, which is what we can talk about when we bring up each of the products, maybe we can say, because we know that these diagnoses are actually just symptoms, we can say, yeah. okay, th this product is geared towards somebody with this symptom, even like diabetes, uh, the symptom of diabetes of where you're not managing your sugar, this particular product can help with that. So we yeah. kind of touched on Energen, which is my favorite B vitamins that you have. You have this whole slew of B vitamins with Energen. We kind of touched on Estroban. One of my, uh, probably my top favorite of yours is Magnoil. So mm -hmm. you want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, magnesium is something that uh, multiple studies, including ones coming out of, I call them out of mainstream medicine, they're basically saying without a doubt, everybody, everybody except maybe little kids are magnesium deficient. And, and people will say, well, how, how come? How come I'm de deficient in magnesium, but I'm not deficient in sodium, potassium, or calcium? Uh, well, calcium deficiency is another thing, but it's not nearly as widespread as magnesium deficiency. And it turns out that, that the retention of the three electrolytes, calcium, potassium, and sodium, is actually the body has various mechanisms designed to be able to more easily retain those things from the diet. Not so with magnesium. Uh, even though you may be ingesting a, a significant amounts of magnesium through the diet, first, it has most of the salts of magnesium, which people take, such as citrate or malate or oxide, even the worse. Uh, they have very, very poor absorption in the gastrointestinal tract. But even after that, after, after magnesium gets absorbed, uh, in order for it to be retained and to stay inside of the cell where it's actually needed for over 300 different enzymatic reactions related not just to energy production, but maintenance of the cell, of the cell structure, uh, getting rid of, of bacteria, viruses, and fungi, uh, restraining excessive cell growth, which is the precursor to cancer, right? Uh, managing proper glucose metabolism, uh, suppressing basically excessive fatty acid oxidation, helping new bones, uh, uh, tissue to be formed, which apparently depends as much on magnesium as it depends on calcium, really over 300 different reactions like that, right? But it can only be retained inside of the cell uh, when it's bound in a complex uh, with the molecule ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Mm -hmm. And adenosine triphosphate is the final product of the energetic pathway from food to oxygen when oxidative phosphorylation, the oxidative metabol metabolism, metabolizing of food is working properly. Now, if it's not working properly, then you're not producing sufficient amounts of ATP. Without sufficient amounts of ATP, first of all, not, not, not much magnesium will enter the cell. And even if it enters the cell, if it's in, in its free form, but not bound to ATP, it will be very easily excreted back into the bloodstream and then ultimately excreted through your urine. So basically, you can be loading yourself up on magnesium, but most, first of all, very poor oral absorption. And second, uh, you know, uh, most of the magnesium will not, probably won't be able to enter the cell because of insufficient ATP synthesis, which is endemic in most people. Most people in the weight gain we see with age and whatnot is kind of like an indication very good of, of lower metabolism. So most people will not have sufficient ATP production to retain the amount of magnesium that they need in order to be in optimal health. Okay, so what do we do? Well, uh, you can administer magnesium through the skin, transdermal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
people know about uh, uh, basically like putting magnesium sulfate in their bathtub and sort of like soaking themselves in it. That's actually a pretty good way. Uh, but even though the absorption is decent when the whole body is exposed to the magnesium in the water, uh, the retention uh, is probably going to last just a couple hours. And then because of the lack of ATP, uh, it's probably going to, again, after a few hours, be excreted. And that kind of matches what I've heard from people when I talk to them about their uh, experience with magnesium baths. They're saying, yeah, it's great. It makes me sleep through the night. But then the, the next day I have to do it again because otherwise, you know, by the next night, I already feel like I'm agitated, you know, on the edge. I can't fall asleep. I can't relax, which is one of the signs of magnesium deficiency. Right. Um, so what do we do? Well, it turns out that if you dissolve magnesium uh, in this solvent called DMSO, uh, dimethyl sulfoxide, it has close to 100% penetration through the skin. And that's actually one of the reasons DMSO is used for uh, in, in the pharmaceutical industry as a solvent for other transdermal drugs. Uh, but basically, when magnesium is bound to the DMSO, not only it goes uh, very easily through the skin, but it, it basically enters the cell very easily, even in the absence of ATP. Uh, so you're going to be getting, instead of loading yourself up on oral magnesium, which may, may in, fa in fact, many cases causes diarrhea because you don't absorb it very well. Just none of the salts really have a very good absorption rate. Um, uh, and basically, you know, first of all, you're going to waste a lot of it, right? You, you buy all these massive pills. They're unpleasant uh, in taste. They're basically difficult to swallow. You have to do it every day. And then you don't absorb most of it. And even of the little you absorb, you very quickly excrete it. Mm -hmm. uh, these problems seem to be circumventable by dissolving magnesium in the MSO and administering topically, especially in areas where you have problems, such as joint pain. If you have joint pain, this magnolia, uh, people are swearing by it, or if you have like muscle cramps or muscle injury, a lot of competitive athletes are now writing to us saying like, I love this. You know, I used to buy this uh, magnesium chloride spray. It was helping, but the effects were very short lasting. And I, I thought like, I felt like I could use more. So with the magnoil, because it's, it's, it's a hundred percent absorption through the skin and it's retained for quite a, quite a, quite a bit of time, probably up to like uh, a day or two, because people are now writing to us saying, we don't, we feel like we don't need to use it every day. I said, more power to you. I'm going to save you money too. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and basically that's really, that's really the gist of it. Trying to ensure highly bioavailable magnesium, uh, and also ensure sufficient retention, even in, even in people that are not producing a significant amount of ATP. But guess what? After you use the magnoil, the magnesium, because it's now properly retained, will help you produce more ATP. So eventually it kind of becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. After a few days of using the magnoil, because of the retention of the, of the magnesium, then your metabolism starts working better. Then you start producing more ATP and now you can retain magnesium better. So then after a few days, people are saying, you know what? After a few days of loading those, right? After my metabolism recovered, I don't need to use it every day. Basically, I need to only use it when I, when I, you know, excrete or lose a significant amount of magnesium, which is what excessive stress or like exhaustive exercise uh, would do, or like, a, you know, a night out on town, having, you know, two, three, four drinks. Alcohol is a, is a diuretic and it's, it's known to increase magnesium excretion among other electrolytes. So only only when need as needed, right? They don't they don't they don't treat it as a supplement as a daily supplement anymore. They treat it as in something that okay, I it kind of it kind of fixed my issue, and now I only use it if this issue reappears. Um, which is what we kind of want to be true of all of our products. I don't want customers for life that buy from me every day. 
to me, this is a sign that the products are not working. <laughs> I want customers who buy rarely, <laughs> but are happy about it. And they tell other people, right? And then basically the knowledge spreads that you can take your health uh, matters into your own hands. And though the doctor is probably still necessary because they're, they're pretty good at diagnosing, uh, you have to basically, then then you, you acquire over time the knowledge, you acquire the knowledge to filter the information that the doctor is telling you because they're biased. A lot of the stuff that they're saying is wrong and it's reductionist, right? But, you know, they can look at the symptoms and say, I think you have a problem in this organ or like, or in this tissue, right? And then knowing the bioenergetic principles and having access to a few supplements, whether from us or somebody else, I mean, the ingredients are available from other vendors too, then you can kind of fix your problems and then, you know, only go to the doctor as needed. We really have to uh, de-medicalize society. The way the way society has gone, and there's this writer called Ivan Illich who wrote a few books back in the 70s about de-schooling society, de-medicalizing society, really de-institutionalizing society. Going back to kind of like the old school libertarian principles that the United States was founded on. Uh, you know, we've really kind of like gone astray. We got, we've got, uh, we were at a, um, initially we were in a point where we thought that basically all a person needed in life was good food and a good partner and maybe God, right? And then they can handle anything that life throws at them. Then we got somehow degenerated to the point that now the, 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 the common view on the street is that unless at least 10 experts are holding your hand on a daily basis, you just can't make it through the day, right? That's wrong. And and we have historical evidence that that is completely wrong. And we need to get away from that. This is this has not produced any results. Now, if it, if it did produce results, then there may be some argument for maintaining it. But it has not produced any results. It has made us worse. And, and not the least, it costs a tremendous amount of money that can be put to good use uh, to improving people's lives through different implementation. I mean, there are many different ways that this money can be spent instead of, I mean, the United States spends 22% of its GDP on healthcare. And what what does the the Western world have to show for it? There are, I think, 37 place in terms of like healthcare outcomes. And the number one countries, uh, I mean, the top five are countries that not only spend, uh, I don't know, 100 of what the developed world does, but they're also countries that where people don't really go to see much of the doctor anyways. They may they may go for an annual check checkup, but even that's actually not practiced very, very commonly. They go and actually feel something's wrong and they cannot fix it themselves. Um, only in, in a in a and of course the system there is organized because if it's a if it's a system where the doctor kind of depends on you going to them all the time in order to for the doctor to survive, clearly they have a different system too, where basically the doctor is not incentivized to keep you sick. But it's incentivized to keep you healthy. I I don't know how exactly this is done, but all I'm saying is that the evidence is indisputable that we used to be in a in a good state, health wise and social wise and mental wise. We got astray. The system that we're using now is not working. There's plenty of evidence that basically it's expensive. It's not producing any good results. It's making us worse. And other countries that are using less of it, maybe that's the simplest thing to do. Just use less of it, and then it will be a tremendous tremendous advance. <laughs> Yeah, like trust your inner knowing, trust that bio individuality, that bio understanding of your body, because well, I think we have too much trust in these practitioners that spend only seven minutes with us at a time. And and we know more than we give ourselves credit for. You you feel yeah. sometimes you'll see a supplement and you'll be like, Why am I drawn to that? You know, why why do I feel like I might want to try that? So trust that inner knowing, because sometimes it's your body just saying, you know, that's something that I I read that ingredient and for whatever reason or I smell that or I 
you know, no, I read something about it that makes me want to try it. So, yeah, okay, how so we Matt, survived for four billion years in nature yeah. without an expert holding our hand? We had gut instincts, which mm-hmm. developed over four billion years of evolution mm-hmm. to basically drive us towards what we perceive as something that's good for us. Mm-hmm. We need to go back to that, or at least partially go back to that, because the way this is going right now of us completely shutting down the little voice inside us, that's that's not how, uh, uh, that's it's not going in a good direction. I have a, my boss in the old job used to be a, it was a special ops guy. And he basically, uh, so he's seen a lot of war, spend maybe 20, 25 years in an environment that does not forgive even a single air. He said, you know what, son? At the end of the day, because he's like, I don't give life advice, but it, but if you have to give one advice, I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, life comes down to two very simple rules. Number one, it's all about the little voice inside you most civilians don't even hear. Number two, if that voice tells you that there is a doubt, then there is no doubt. Mm-hmm. He's saying, at least when it comes to people, and especially as doctors, he had the same attitude as towards doctors as me. And he's been on a battlefield. He's seen combat medics. And he's basically saying, if you feel somebody's BSing you, like he's like, there is no doubt. Walk away. Mm-hmm. You'll be better off trusting your gut instinct and trying to do something else than listening to the expert who somehow, <laughs> without a failure, continues to fail in their effort to fix you. Um, he's like, he, why Why does he have to drag on for years? I mean, all you need is a few interactions with a person like that, and you know that they're not the person for you. You walk yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so magnesium warranted that amount of time, but I think in order yeah. to get all these products, then we'll have to go with like the, the key ingredients. And okay, then sure. also like maybe what who what individual symptom is it could it be good for or what condition or issue that people oh. might be having to, i mean so, uh, yeah sure the magnesium, magnesium of course goes with everything basically with everything exactly yeah. so general general symptoms of magnesium deficiency are tiredness irritability uh, inability to relax and sleep so kind of like the tired but wired feeling yeah. that's probably uh, like an unmistakable symptom of magnesium mm-hmm. so you're like you're low on energy but in order, but you can't really sleep because you're low energy, and that because the body kind of wakes you up every couple hours to to ask you to eat because it needs the energy, but it's just not produced properly. So uh, what else? Uh, uh, depression is actually a very very common and very reliable uh, sign slash symptom of magnesium deficiency, and there's even a study showing rapid recovery from depression in just seven days by using magnesium magnesium taurate or magnesium glycinate, which is basically magnesium conjugated with these two amino acids. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Joint pain, um, you know, uh, 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 cognitive dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, uh, skin problems, nail problems, hair problems, connective tissue problems, all of these things where magnesium participates. I mean, if magnesium participates in over 300 different enzymatic reactions, considering that there are only about 450 of them total, then basically <laughs> any problem that you have can probably be traced down to magnesium deficiency, which is kind of is, 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 is a bit misleading, but also telling because you'll think like, oh, this one ingredient like, is very reductive. No, it participates. It basically is the conductor together with ATP, right? That is really your energy molecule. That's what's responsible for, for allowing every cell to function at its optimal. Uh, so if thyroid is here, Magnesium and ATP are like literally half a step below. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So now you're going to run out of magna oil because everybody's going to order it after this. <laughs> okay. Now, ones that I'm not familiar with are like defibron. So okay. what is defibron? Okay. So it's a mix of three saturated uh, fatty acids, uh, myristic acids, stearic, and palmitic. Mm-hmm. But those fatty acids, if you consume them from food, they very quickly get metabolized as energy. Okay. Uh, and then several studies, I think started around 
the early 80s, uh, discovered that the methylated versions of these uh, fatty acids, such as methyl palmitate, methyl myristate, and methyl stearate, uh, get metabolized much more slowly. So they circulate in the bloodstream and accumulate in tissues in their, un, in, in their, in their original form. Because if you, if you consume them from the diet, the majority of them will get basically broken down and, sit and convert into ATP, right? Um, so whatever benefit these saturated fatty acids has, when you, when you get them from food, if they're non-methylated, they get converted mostly to energy. But if you get them in the methylated form, uh, they seem to stick around and produce a lot of the benefits the saturated fat is known for, such as mostly preventing the inflammatory and fibrotic reactions that polyunsaturated fats are known for. So you can think of them as antagonizing the effects of the PUFA. And a PUFA is a central theme in the metabolic theory because the polyunsaturated fats are really, um, you know, there's very, there's very little good that can be said about them. Uh, they're responsible for about 80%, if not more, of, the, of any inflammatory reaction you may have. Um, and they're also estrogenic in their nature. And they stimulate the synthesis of cortisol. So they kind of put you in a chronic stress reaction, right? Yeah. So anyway, anything that the PUFA can do in terms of negative effects on health, the saturated fats can reverse if we can only keep them in their original unmetabolized form. And the way you keep them in that form is that by having this extra methyl group, uh, they're basically, the body uh, is, has, has, uh, is, has more trouble metabolizing them into energy. So it keeps them around longer in their intact form. Um, and several studies, mostly with methyl palmitate, showing that it can both stop and reverse extensive fibrosis in virtually any organ you can think of. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the studies are done with cirrhosis, which is fibrosis of the liver. But now they also have uh, uh, reversal of fibrotic changes in the lungs, in the heart, which is heart failure, right? Uh, in the GI tract um, uh, and, and basically various other organs in the reproductive tract, especially endometrium. Uh, endometriosis, it's a fibrotic condition, right? Um, all of these uh, effects are, have by now been shown that methyl palmitate has, has them in various organs and tissues. And in the methyl steroid and methyl myristate, they have several uh, studies behind them showing that they have a strong antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal effects, um, and also may be able to stop the growth of several different types of cancer. But since cancer is always solid tumors, not the blood ones, but the solid tumors are always the final stage of fibrosis. In other words, before you form a tumor, you always have fibrosis preceding it. If, the, if these fatty acids are capable of stopping and or reversing the fibrotic process, chances are they can prevent the cancerization of, the pro, the cancerization of that organ as well. Uh, so, so we basically have saturated fatty acids in a pill or at least in a liquid. Mm -hmm. uh, and they stay as saturated fatty acids. They're long-acting saturated fatty acids. Uh, and they give you all the benefits associated with, with saturated fat. But if you were to replace that with regular saturated fat, you have to eat it with every meal in much larger uh, amounts just so that it can accumulate to the point of exerting those effects because otherwise it gets metabolized as energy. Okay, cool. So who is it right for? I know you mentioned somebody with tumor growth. Could they rub it right on there? And then who else is it right for? And also what dosage? Uh, they can rub it or on or around the tumor the tumor site if it's if it's near the surface they can take it orally i mean all of our products are made with food grade ingredients uh a bit of a backtrack to uh, because you asked me said they're licensed as cosmetics because we rent a lab space from a university nearby to actually bottle them there so we comply with most of the requirements for hygiene 
We just don't have the license of that of that specific warehouse to be able to advertise them as food grade products. But the ingredients that go in there, are, every single one of them is food grade. And many people report using our products orally, um, similar to Dr. Pete's Progestee. Uh, many people report using it orally. I think we're producing our products in, in a condition similar to Dr. Pete's. Um, so basically, they can again with any of the products. They can be either rubbed on the skin. It can be you know rubbed on the gums, taken sublingually, and or even ingested. Um, and you know I'll try all of these routes and see which one benefits you the most. If you have a localized issue that's basically very close to the surface, such as you have like a I don't know like a stiff muscle or like a knot that's usually a sign of fibrotic tissue forming that's close basically under the skin, and you can sense it, you can palpate it. Then rubbing the fibron or some of the other products with antifibrotic effects on that area or around that area, that's probably going to be the best route. If you have something, you know, that you have problems with your liver, uh, then probably taking it orally will be the best bet because most of that will go to the liver when it's ingested, right? Um, if you have issues with, like, let's say, I don't know, something in your brain or, you know, central nervous system, uh, then rubbing it on your temples, scalp. Uh, or even like on the nose, under the eyes, would probably be a very good idea because um, it has it has direct access to the brain through the trigeminal nerve, which basically covers this facial area and the scalp. Um, so you really many routes for usage, but the two main ones are topical and oral. Okay. Um, and if it's uh, more localized, easy to reach on the surface, then topical is probably better. If it's more internal and you know distant organs that you can't really reach easily from the surface, then usually oral or sublingual is uh, is the way to go. Okay, cool. So next one I want to talk about is Lapodin. Is this the one that has cascara in it? Yes, but it's okay, got only one of the... a long the, time yeah. ago and I liked it. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. So most of the benefits associated with cascara, uh, especially the laxative benefits, yeah. are due to this component called emodin. Mm -hmm. And emodin is a type of anthraquinone. Uh, so it's a type of quinone. And there are many different types of quinones. This particular one is anthraquinone. Uh, and what do quinones do? Well, their main effect, actually, uh, chemically, is the ability to withdraw electrons. Uh, and this is a very central theme slash benefit in metabolic theory because the metabolic theory postulates that all health problems arise from the accumulation of electrons that are coming from food, but for whatever reason, they're not reaching oxygen at the end of the of the of this you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of like a, a staircase or a chain reactions. Uh, they're not reaching oxygen in the end, so they build up. And, uh, you know, and this this excess of electrons, unless it's basically consumed in, in, in different reactions, such as synthesizing fat is an emergency process to get rid of excess electrons. Tumor growth is another one. So that's a way, another way to look at tumors is what does the body do with the excess electrons that I'm not able to give to oxygen? Well, it can synthesize new tissue and not in a good way. In other words, tumor tissue. But if there was something that could accept those electrons other than oxygen, then many of these, if not all of these problems could be prevented. Well, guess what? Quinones do that. They accept electrons. Uh, and basically, uh, they, the antraquinones uh, can accept two electrons, right? And then, so in other words, the quinones are oxidizing agents. Anything that accepts electrons withdraws electrons is considered an oxidizing agent. So all of the oxidizing agents, such as modin is one of them, vitamin K is another one. Uh, the coenzyme Q10, which probably most people are familiar with, is also one. It's produced endogenously in our bodies to help with the metabolism, the metabolism of food, right? All of these electron accepting agents are very, very beneficial. So emodin's primary effect, probably the most systemic one, is the fact that it accelerates the metabolic the, the metabolic chain, right? 
uh, basically, if you have any problem anywhere in the metabolic chain, usually the administration of an electron withdrawing agent, because that's really the problem. The problem is that the electrons that started from food somehow are blocked and are, cannot reach the oxygen. And there are many steps in between where this can happen. Quinones, generally speaking, can help regardless of which step this is happening at. Uh, and emoting can do that too. Uh, like I said, there are other quinones that have similar effects. Methylene blue is another uh, you know, very famous one, very commonly widely used. But emoting has another very peculiar effect, uh, and it seems to be unique in that respect, is that it blocks the enzyme that synthesizes cortisol. And that enzyme is known as 11-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase type 1. You know, very long name. You don't have to remember it, but if you type 11-B-HSD1, and then after that in Google, then you do space and type obesity, diabetes, cancer, heart attacks, whatever you can come up with, any, any disease you can come up with, you will see that this, this the activity of this enzyme, in other words, the, the production of cortisol is elevated in virtually any chronic disease you can imagine, specifically obesity and diabetes. So pharma companies are saying, hmm, great, let's synthesize uh, synthetic inhibitors of this enzyme and use them as treatment for obesity, diabetes, cancer, Parkinson's, whatnot, whatnot. I say, why, why, why the need for synthesizing a synthetic one? Imodin is a natural one, found in cascara, and it's actually one of the most potent ones too. It's active at just nanomolar concentrations, which means just a few milligrams uh, per dose are actually sufficient to produce a very, very noticeable effect. Uh, and whenever you uh, basically uh, reduce excessive cortisol, uh, that allows your metabolic system to take over. You start metabolizing glucose better, and blood glucose levels blood glucose levels tend to drop, which is why pharmaceutical companies are interested in using such synthetic inhibitors for treating diabetes, a condition associated with high blood sugar, right? But there's no need to go for those things because the emotion is naturally present. It doesn't really have any known serious side effects, even in very large doses. The only thing that I could that I could think of is that if you take too much of it, you'll make you extremely hungry because your blood sugar will drop tremendously, and then you may get a little lightheaded and whatnot. But if you eat, all these problems will be solved. So that's really the, the main function uh, of the emoting component of it. Then it also contains another quinone, but it's called a naftoquinone, known as beta-lapatron. Uh, there was a doctor, William Koch, uh, who basically studied cancer back in the early 20th century. He was a medical doctor from Michigan, and he claimed that any cancer can be cured by using a very specific synthetic quinone that he produced. Uh, you know, he it, it caused a huge controversy. Um, he uh, he has a very very well documented, extensive list of about 300 or more patients that were completely cured of even terminal stages of cancer using his synthetic quinone. FDA didn't like these results. They basically like kicked him out of the country, and for the rest of his life, he, for the rest of his life, he lived in exile in Latin America. And when he was there, because when he was down there, because he couldn't synthesize the synthetic quinone that he was working on back in the states. He tried to find natural quinones that have similar effects. Well, the tree known as the Lapacho tree, uh, also known as Pau Darko, the, the, the bark of the tree contains a number of different naphtoquinones, and one of them is called beta lapachon. So the Lapodin name is a mix of Lapachon and Emodin, right? So now we have two quinones, very powerful, uh, whose main effect is withdrawing electrons. But beta lapotron, uh, the research that my group, I have a research group uh, back in Europe, where I'm originally from, we've now proven that it's beta lapotron is a powerful aromatase inhibitor. So now you have two in one punch. 
we have a, a product that can potentially tackle excess cortisol and excess estrogen. And these two hormones are responsible directly for any chronic condition you can imagine. If they're elevated, I, can, I guarantee that you'll develop at the very least diabetes. And if this continues for too long, eventually, because of especially the high estrogen, uh, you'll probably be subject to the development of a number of different endocrine cancers, especially estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, but also endometrial cancer, speaking of the women, of course, um, uh, ut uh, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, all of these cancers that medicine kept claiming for years that they had nothing to do with, with hormones now turn out to be driven by estrogen and cortisol. Um, triple negative breast cancer. Medicine says, without a doubt, this cancer can never be affected by hormones. Guess what? Recent studies came out saying if you block cortisol, this cancer disappears. Yeah. So Laporin has components that have been shown in studies to be able to restrain excessive levels of cortisol and estrogen. And the cardinal effect, really, in my opinion, which is kind of uh, corroborated by Dr. Koch's work, uh, is the, is their, uh, their effects as electron withdrawing agents, which helps the entire metabolic chain. Oh, cool. So yeah, that one is so good for, for also, like I was using it, I felt like there was a, a difference in my um, energy before bed, like it was like a calming energy if I even used it before bed, maybe other people get energy from it. But I think it's the 11 HSD aspect that you mentioned, yep. because it, yep. Yep. For, that from what I understand, the cell will reactivate cortisol and turn it back into this active like fight or flight. Yep. Yep. The, the 11 HSD. So if it's suppressing that, then maybe that's why that's calm energy before bed. It was like not letting that get activated or whatever. So yeah, that there, was really cool. There are people with this condition called Cushing syndrome or Cushing yes. disease that yes. produce a lot of estrogen. I'm mm -hmm. um, sorry, a lot of cortisol. One of the defining symptoms slash signs of this of this is that they are manic. They basically yeah. are in a state of maniac, which is yeah. cortisol causing it. And they cannot sleep. They're basically suffering from chronic insomnia because of this high levels of the stress hormone cortisol. And when they give them an anti-cortisol drug known as mifepristone, also known as RU486, these people immediately relax and they're able to have nice restorative night of sleep. So that's the anti-cortisol effect is causing that. So any other co compound slash chemical that has, that can be able to restrain excessive cortisol is probably going to result in improved sleep as well. Love that. Yeah, I had a good friend that died from Cushing, so I wish I could have tried that on her before oh. I knew I didn't know about it. Um, next one I wanted to mention was Pyrosat because mm -hmm. that when I tried that, that felt like I could handle carbs better. So tell me, tell us about that briefly. So there's this thing in the cell called the Randall cycle, uh, which was postulated back in the early 1970s uh, by a by a doctor. His last name is Randall. Um, and he was saying that basically there are only two metabolites, there are only two substrata that the cell can use for energy. It's either carbs or fat, right? And then some people say, well, what about protein? Well, you cannot directly oxidize protein. Actually, first has to be converted to glucose uh, by the liver in the process of gluconeogenesis. So ultimately, the two final uh, raw materials for energy for the cell are either fat or glucose. And then Randall, Mr. Randall, Dr. Randall, noticed that at any point in time, the cell can oxidize either one or the other. And increasing the levels of one basically favored the oxidation of that particular substrate through competitive effects and was kind of like out-competing the other. So if you, if you, if you basically flood the cells with fat, they'll, they'll, they, their levels of fat oxidation will increase, but their levels of glucose oxidation will, will precipitously drop. Conversely, if you feed the cells glucose um, and or increase their oxidative 
the, the redox balance towards oxidation, they're going to be able to oxidize a lot more glucose, but they will not oxidize as much fat. Mm -hmm. uh, and that became known as the Rendell cycle. In other words, you either at any point in time, you're either mostly oxidizing fat or you're mostly oxidizing glucose. And then the metabolic theory also corroborated extensively lately demonstrates that excessive oxidation of fat is actually the thing that's leading to a host of, um, you know, a number of different chronic conditions, especially diabetes and cancer. Uh, the excessive oxidation of fats has now been proven in type 2 diabetes. And in fact, they're administering, they're, there's a drug, which is a derivative vitamin B3, um, and the drug is called ACPBOX. It's a derivative, really, of niacin, which is nicotinic acid, and it's basically one of the types of vitamin B3. So now they're administering these drugs that are known to lower the supply of fat to the cell. And when you lower the supply of fat to the cell, but you allow glucose to go you know, unrestricted, then the cell will switch over to oxidizing glucose. There's nothing damaged about the cells in neither cancer nor diabetes. It's actually, it's all about the fuel that they're being given at the time to oxidize. So pyroset is a combination of two, two ingredients, pyruvate and acetoacetate. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason they're there is basically, like I said, if you want to favor the oxidation of glucose, now that I've said that the excessive oxidation of fat is pathological, if you want to uh, favor the oxidation of glucose, you either have to supply glucose or one of its byproducts, which pyruvate is one of them, right? It's also capable of outcompeting the, the fats and also shift the redox balance towards oxidation because on the way of, of uh, glucose oxidation, there is this rate, they call it rate limiting. It's kind of like a gateway door, right? Uh, and basically how well that door works determines how well we'll be able to, to oxidize the glucose. And pyruvate has to enter through that door. Well, for pyruvate to enter through that door, the door is most widely open when the cell is in a more oxidized state. Um, and the way you put the cell in a more oxidized state is you either administer quinones, which we mentioned already, the oxidizing agents, or you administer things that can raise the cell's NAD to the NADH ratio. Um, in other words, other oxidizing agents. Uh, and acetoacetate is actually a ketone body we produce, and it's known to have an oxidizing effect. In fact, studies uh, with, with animals demonstrated that the administration of the equivalent amount of what's found in Pyroset drastically shifted the redox balance towards oxidation and made the animals blocked almost completely their ability to oxidize fat. So which means that if you ever had problems with oxidation of glucose, that suggests you are over oxidizing fat because there's no damage to your cells. Simply, if you cannot oxidize glucose, means something is in the, in the cell, forcing them to oxidize fat, or you're simply supplying too much fat. Well, if you actually kind of force the cell to oxidize glucose, then whatever problems you have with glucose oxidation are likely to disappear and you're going to actually start craving more glucose because you're metabolizing it. Uh, people that have obesity, diabetes, in general, issues with oxidizing glucose, they don't crave glucose much. They actually kind of feel almost like a bit of an aversion. But as soon as you give them something that improves the oxidation of glucose, lowering cortisol is one of them, as I mentioned. Cortisol's effects actually, two main effects is fight inflammation, keep blood glucose high. Conversely, if you lower cortisol, blood glucose drops. You start craving glucose. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to pyroset, if you actually suppress the oxidation of fat and or increase the oxidation of glucose, the levels of blood levels of glucose will drop and you will crave more glucose. Um, so it's kind of like a supplement that's developed for people who have problems with oxidizing glucose. And that's literally everybody. 
Uh, I mean, you don't have to have a chronic disease in order to have problems with glucose oxidation. Yeah. Uh, studies have shown that with increasing age, our ability to oxidize glucose declines, and we tend to stay stay predominant in fatty acid oxidation side of the Randall cycle. Uh, and if you actually try to, if you actually reverse this, if you give these people, if you give, give people drugs that block the oxidation of fat, then these people, in many cases, many of their chronic problems disappear. In other words, simply switching the fuel of the cell from fat to glucose tends to restrain and or correct many acute or chronic issues that you may be having. So that's really the, the goal of Pyroset is to mimic actually a drug which was on the market. It's called meldonium, also known as mildronate. Mm-hmm. And it's used by many athletes as a doping drug because it improves performance. Yeah. How does it improve physical performance? By improving the oxidation of glucose. How does it improve the oxidation of glucose? By blocking the excessive oxidation of fat. And that's really kind of what Pyroset is doing, but with over-the-counter ingredients. There you go. And now they don't have to get their doping drug. They can just buy the Pyroset. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Now, actually, now that it's officially a doping drug, it's much more difficult, much more dangerous to obtain. Yeah. Customs will block it. Uh, and if they catch it, they'll actually send you a letter saying, you can import this. You know, it's not a drug in the States, but it's banned as a performance-enhancing drug. Right. So we're going to confiscate it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You still have so many more products we got to go through. So let's do some of them as rapid fire. Cause some of them are pretty easy. Like sure. the calcerol is a vitamin D, right? Vitamin D. Yep. Yeah. And then the uh, retinol is, or the retinil is vitamin A, right? Exactly. Okay. And then uh, the Solban is one I've always liked too, but that's a blend of like some stuff that really helps actually as a natural sunscreen I've found. Yes. Exactly. Natural sunscreen. And also some studies found that uh, basically it can remove pigmentation as well. So if you have any kind of issues from the skin with excessive pigmentation, which happens to increase with age also, and it's uh, sun exposure too, just uh-huh. spraying Solban on your skin may help not only with the sunburn, prevent it and or treat it, uh, but also prevent some of the formation of the aging spots, which are dreaded by pretty much everybody. Okay. And then we have the... Uh... The, let's see the oxidol is the methylene blue with some caffeine there's yes. one other ingredient in there too the aspirin i think right yes the, the, yeah. the salicylic acid yeah yes. so basically okay. uh, you know the the so the it's a quinone but the presence of caffeine enhances its bioavailability inside of the cell which mm-hmm. similar to the magnol principle where we use dmso to enhance the availability of magnesium for the cell mm-hmm. the caffeine in this case enhances the bioavailability of methylene blue and methylene blue is another potent quinone okay cool and then uh the the tocovit is your vitamin E, which is really nice. Yeah. Yes. And the difference between that and many, basically, I don't know of any other product on the market that's similar to it is that the original vitamin E, which was most of the studies that found good effects with it, were actually, was actually unrefined. It was The vitamin E was extracted from wheat germ oil, and they found that it also contained these very long chain saturated fatty acid, alcohol, acid alcohols called fatty, fatty alcohols called polycosinol. And it was the combination of the vitamin E and the polycosinol that had synergistic effects, uh, anti-fatigue, anti-estrogen, anti-tumor, pro-cognitive, anti-aging, all of these things. So if you're buying vitamin E, uh, any other vitamin E product on the market, it will probably have a pretty decent quality of vitamin E in it. But vitamin E by itself probably has only about 40% of the effects of what these original studies with vitamin E were claiming. And the other 60% are due to the polycosinols, which are no longer present in the vast majority of commercial vitamin E products. In fact, I don't know of any other vitamin E product on the market that is actually vitamin E with polycosinols extracted from wheat germ oil. It's usually refined vitamin E extracted from yeah. soybeans or sunflower oil. 
And I was just reading a really good book, uh, Adele Davis. It's let's, let's eat right. I think it's called, I'm still in the middle of it, but she actually talks about wheat germ being so potent as just a whole food source of vitamin E. So it's really cool that you extract it from that. So that's great. Yep. And, and then uh, the stress non. So that's one I really have enjoyed taking before too. just brief us on that. Uh, just pregnenolone, which is kind of like the first step after cholesterol, and it's the they call it the grandmother or the grandfather of all the other steroids. Right. Um, there was this Canadian doctor called Hans Selye who did a lot of research with pregnenolone back in the 70s, uh, and he kind of, together with progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, he called it the catatoxic steroids. So in other words, these are steroids that protect you from non-specific toxins, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's an actual physical toxin that you ingest or somehow got into your body, or whether that's radiation, which even though radiation is not exactly material, it goes through you, but it causes a lot of damage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or just stress in general, and you're producing endogenous toxins, the catatoxic steroids help you get rid of those toxins more quickly, and they increase your resistance to those toxins. Mm-hmm. This is in contrast to the syntoxic steroids, such as, uh, by the way, cortisol and estrogen are syntoxic. And the reason they're syntoxic is they were found to synergize with the toxins and increase the negative effects of the toxins. Mm-hmm. So the stress known is basically contains one of the catatoxic steroids that is supposed to enhance your general resilience to stress toxins and really like the whatever life has to throw at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some studies with it back in the 50s and 60s showing that people under extreme uh, stress slash pressure, such as soldiers or factory workers during wartime or pilots on extending flights, uh, when they were given just 50 milligrams of that, or even lower amounts, the, the output of their adrenal glands drastically declined. So they were able to work much better by while simultaneously not needing to produce not nearly as much cortisol. So it kind of spares your adrenals, right? Um, and that's, there's another topic of adrenal fatigue is very common these days, but it, it's basically a steroid that, inc- that increases your resilience to stress, non-specific. It could be a chemical could be a toxic person, could be radiation, could be anything in your environment or even inside you that you're producing because of suboptimal environment. Mm-hmm. Pregnenolone will help you get rid of it more quickly and recover more quickly from it. Yeah, I've had plenty of clients come out of that fight or flight with that stress on it, just kind of dampened down that continuous like, ah, feeling. So, um, yeah. well, okay, so I, you have a progesterone, which is progestine no matter what progesterone I've ever tried, I don't do well on them. But here's what I do do well on is your six keto P4. Now, my understanding is that is a metabolite or a breakdown from what I've read of what you posted, that it's, if I can't metabolize progesterone, this is something that I might want to take. And that's why I take it. And it does wonders for me as far as like, it must be just what my body needs for progesterone. Can you explain that? It's a direct metabolite of regular progesterone, uh, but it doesn't have direct effects on the progesterone receptor. And many women associate activity of the progesterone receptor with some negative effects, such as uh, b- breast sensitivity uh, or moodiness, uh, or like even even sometimes feelings of these like waves of hot flashes coming in through, right? right. Um, uh, uh, the old uh, six kilo progesterone was first, first discovered in the early 20th century, but then there was another study done in Japan I think it was in the 60s, and then discovered that it doesn't really have any effects on the estrogen or androgen receptors, uh, but it does seem to have an anabolic effect on the muscle tissue, and that's usually associated with anti-cortisol effects. Um, So it it may be possible. By the way, progesterone also has the anti-cortisol effects, but it also has the activity as a progestogen, 
And some women or men, depending on who is using it, tend to not like those effects. Uh, makes them sleepy uh, or like makes them sweat a lot, right? Ketoprogesterone seems to lack the progestogenic activity, but seems to still retain the anti-cortisol effects. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for something to kind of like help you deal with stress or just lower your overall stress response, 6-ketoprogesterone may be such a chemical without affecting any of the other um, endocrinological systems that are associated with taking regular progesterone. Yeah, I love it. A little goes a long, long way too. I can do five drops. I put it on my abdomen and it, I like, I feel great for bed, like very calming. Um, yeah, I, I'll be using that one indefinitely. I've used it for years now. Now, I don't know anything about 10-methoxyharmalin. So why don't you talk to us briefly about that one too? A uh, very new product. Uh, it seems to be a natural metabolite in our body of melatonin, oh. which is a sleep hormone that we produce. And it's produced from it in only one step enzymatically inside of the body. Um, and a study in the 1960s demonstrated that 10 methoxyhermelan, which is naturally but also present in, in tobacco leaves and various hallucinogenic plants that are consumed by the indigenous population in Latin America, it, it itself does not have the hallucinogenic effects, but it is present naturally as well in and, and also natural metabolite in our body. So a study in the 60s found that 10-methoxyhermelan has almost the same potency as LSD as an anti-serotonin agent. Wow. Um, and basically, uh, since typical doses of uh, LSD to produce a profound anti-serotonin effect are about 100 to 200 micrograms per day, um, basically, the a, a dosage twice as high was able to produce the same effects, according to that study, when using methoxyharmalan. So we basically released that as a as a strong anti-serotonin agent okay. uh, that that works in microgram amounts. Now, mind you, most of the other, actually, virtually all of the other anti-serotonin agents, except for other derivatives of LSD, are working in milligram amounts. In other words, thousands of times higher. So when you have an anti-serotonin agent that works in microgram amounts, this is actually good because the lower the dose, the lower the potential for side effects. Okay. Um, and also it's been shown that uh, the beta-carbolins, which is the family of molecules to which uh, methoxyharmelan belongs, have a very strong anti-Parkinson effects and in general pro-cognitive effect. Um, they were able to demonstrate the reversal of dementia and movement disorders, which is kind of like animal model for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, um, by giving them beta-carbolins, including 10-methoxyhermelan. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I associate those benefits with its activity as a serotonin antagonist. Non-specific serotonin antagonist, similar to LSD, but without its hallucinogenicity. Much safer then, too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> especially with microdosing too. All right, let I'm going to let you pick one more because I've only got time left for one more. And we actually, you guys had a. I reached out, and you guys are so good about questions. You asked a ton of questions for Georgie, and I apologize, we're not going to get to them today. So we're going to come back and do a whole podcast on your questions because they were wonderful and there's so many of them georgie just wait till you hear them all so we'll we'll schedule that mm -hmm. too but tell us about your favorite maybe one that we haven't touched on yet as we wrap up here and then maybe we can save some more for the q a um let's see product or service because now we have a service also associated with Ooh, that. well maybe we need to talk about that go ahead okay so uh, many of you readers, listeners probably know that there is a way to test your minerals in hair and nails, right? So we basically launched a service. Actually, mo the vast majority of testing services in around the world are using hair. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, several people asked, asked Dr. Pete, and then he said, I think, you know, if there is a way to test these minerals in nails, 
it'll be much more reliable because the nail absorbs a lot more from the bloodstream. Absolutely. So it basically be like a better, better, you know, kind of indication of your status on different minerals. Yeah. So we launched this service and now we can test both hair and nails for over 50 or 60 different minerals, calcium, magnesium, potassium, uh, sodium, sulfur, selenium, zinc, anything you can imagine, including heavy metals and other toxic minerals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we can test them in a tiny amount, tiny specimen of nail or hair. Uh, and on top of that, we now are capable of testing steroids in both hair and nails. Uh, and people say, well, 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 what's the advantage? Well, the advantage is actually you mentioned it, is that when you go to a doctor and you do a steroid test, this is a very kind of like a point in time snapshot. Your steroids change in a matter of minutes and sometimes even seconds, Correct. depending on your stress environment, whether you've eaten or not, how you slept last night you know, whether the weather is gloomy or sunny, et cetera, all of these things affect the steroids. And if you go to a doctor on that specific day, there's chances are very good chances that the steroid profile that is going to be reflected by this one point in a time, you know, sort of like point in time snapshot is not indicative of your average level, right? The way you actually feel on a daily basis when you're in, in an optimal or even suboptimal health. So what, so what can we do? Well, as it turns out that if you actually take hair or nail, uh, this, uh, you can analyze the levels of steroids there, the same steroids that a doctor will test for. And this gives you uh, a sort of like a, a, a value that's similar to the blood value they use for blood sugar. They call it the glycated hemoglobin, HPA1C. And the, what this does is gives the doctor an idea of your average blood sugar levels, levels over the last three to six months, right? That's better than testing, pricking you every day and testing your blood sugar every day for three to six months. Nobody likes that, right? right? So they have a biomarker for blood sugar called glycated hemoglobin. Well, it turns out you can do the same thing with steroids if you analyze them in hair or nails. Because these tissues grow much slower, they, they are composed of cells. They're keratinized, but initially they contain cells, right? Yeah. Then basically every half an inch of hair tells you your average hormone levels for whatever hormone you're testing, steroid you're testing, uh, uh, you know, a month in the past. So in other words, if you shave a piece, of, if you get, if you cut a piece of hair from the scalp and let's say it's like an inch and a half long, when you analyze it, it's going to give you the average levels for your steroids over the last three months. Uh, and you can do it on almost unlimited sort of like back in time snapshot, depending on how long your hair is. Yeah. Since you have these gorgeous locks, if you send me like a, a you know, a, a, you know, a piece of hair that's cut from the scalp, and that is six inches long, I will tell you the average levels of your hormones over the last year. Yeah. You cannot do this with blood. No. I mean, sure you can, but you have to go and, you know, get, get pricked like every single time for, and it, got, it has to be pretty often, right? It cannot be once a month over a year because right. again, it's a point in time snapshot. You'll probably have to be like on a weekly basis or even like several times a week over a year in order to get your true levels of your head, then average the results, then you get the basically like what your levels really were, right? Yeah, yeah. So so we avoid that by testing the levels of the steroids in hair or nail. Um, and now you basically have the equivalent of the glycated hemoglobin, but for your steroids. So if you really want to know what are your, and the other thing is the other advantage is that you're, we are showing intracellular levels. Yeah. Uh, when you go to the doctor and you get the blood test, it shows you what the levels are in the blood. That does not mean much in regards to what the levels of that specific steroid are in the cell. Mm -hmm. um, many, especially, it's very, it's already proven in in uh, women specifically with breast cancer. Menopausal women have very low estrogen in the blood, but extremely high estrogen in breast tissue, especially if the breast 
is, is already cancerous. There's like a tumor there, right? Okay. Uh, a regular blood test will not catch that. Doctors know it. They'll tell you that menopausal women have low estrogen in the blood. So they treat menopause as a condition of estrogen deficiency. Guess what? When we tested the estrogen of menopausal women in hair and nails, it was through the roof. Yeah, I'm sure. So, And the reason we were able to do that is because actually hair and nail are composed of cells and you are, we're looking at intracellular levels of steroids, which is normally only achievable through biopsy, which is painful, expensive, invasive, whatnot. Most doctors won't do it unless they suspect cancer. So now we can do it and we can extend this analysis far back in time, several months up to a year, actually for as much hair as you can send us, you know, depending <laughs> on the length of hair, it's really, there's no limit provided you have sufficient hair. And we can give you sort of like an aggregate result for any hormone that a doctor will be willing to test you for, the androgens, the estrogens, the precursors like pregnenolone and progesterone, the glucocorticoids, the mineralocorticoids like aldosterone. Uh, and now we're actually starting to test other things like thyroid. We already can already test in the cell. Uh, we, already, we should be able to test vitamin D. And now we're also working on testing the neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, and their metabolites. So this, these services are already publicly launched uh, and people can order them from our website. I can send you the links because yeah, they're not on the... Right yeah, I see it on bioanalysis. Oh, you do. Yes, yes. Now there's a tab of bioanalysis. Yep. Oh my gosh, this would save people so much money. It's so much more affordable than lab testing and the Dutch test and all the things that are out there that yes. really don't give you a complete picture. Yep. This is so cool. I mean, can you share with Thank them you. the website and then they'll they'll just look for that bioanalysis tab. And I'm definitely going to do this. Yes, it's idealabs.ecyed.com. And then yeah. there's three categories. One of them is bioanalysis and the things are listed there. Yeah, I'll be yeah, sure so, to put that in the show notes too, then click okay. right on it. So yeah, so these tests combine effectively a blood test, a biopsy, and a Dutch test into one. Because if you do any one, any one of these on its own, it gives you a, a, a picture, but it's either incomplete or like very time-specific. Mm -hmm. uh, by looking at tissues, which is what, you know, like it, because nails and hair is basically dead tissue, but it was alive at some point and it is composed of cells, then we're basically kind of doing the, you know, the painless version of biopsy, and we can extend it back in time to, to almost any time period you want. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to wrap us up here because I have another podcast to, to perform in just a few minutes. But this is just part one. We're going to do a part two and hit all of the products that we missed, plus do a Q&A. So maybe even by that time, I'll do my bioanalysis, and then we can talk about it on the podcast, too, sure. so people sure, can sure, hear sure. my results. So, Georgie, sure. this has been awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks and for inviting me. We will come back for part two soon. So stay Appreciate tuned, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. I just love how unique you are and that your needs and diet are as unique as your fingerprint. That's why not every diet in the world will work for you. We need a special one just for you. And as a nutritionist, I believe in your bio-individuality. And it's my job to act as your nutrition detective and find the root of your issues and create a more optimized you 2.0. I don't put one diet together that works for one other person. Every meal plan or protocol I put together is unique to the individual's needs. So you personally, are you looking to ease digestive distress, in your sleep, maybe lower environmental stress that could be causing 
undue anxiety? What about food struggles? Maybe emotional connections to food? Or maybe you're simply suffering from diet confusion and just not sure where to start to improve your health. That's where I come in. So let's set up a free 15-minute call to see if I'm right for you. All you're going to do is simply email me at getfitwithjodell, that's J-O-D-E-L-L-E, at gmail.com, and let's just chat. Let's chat about you. Let's see if we're a good match when it comes to getting you the results that you have been waiting for. And no matter where you reside, you could be in China, Brazil, Chicago, or somewhere in between, we can connect via Zoom or phone or any way you like. So reach out to me getfitwithjodell at gmail.com and let me be your guide as you dial in your health once and for all. I'm feeling a little blue today, but in a good way because I took my methylene blue, that is. Two of my favorite supplements for optimizing my mitochondria, those little energy factories in virtually every cell of our body, are a product called methylene blue and also magnesium. And both can be found really great sources at lifeblood.co, the most authentic and well-researched form of methylene blue and magnesium that I have found to date is the one carried by Lifeblood. We know magnesium is our calming mineral and responsible for over 800 different processes in the human body, helping with calming you for sleep, easing constipation, creating a better heartbeat, thwarting chocolate cravings and sugar cravings, and even easing leg cramps and spasms, plus much, much more. And I don't know where I'd be during the last three years, during a time when many around us were ill without my methylene blue to keep my cells immunity going. Methylene blue is antiviral, antiparasitic, antimicrobial, and even helps calm that candida overgrowth. You can get yourself my two favorite supplements by clicking the link in the show notes for Lifeblood and using my promo code Jodell, J-O-D-E-L-L-E, to save on your very own purchase of those two items or any of the wonderful products at Lifeblood. Again, that promo code is J-O-D-E-L-L-E to save and just visit the show notes below and click the link. I think you'll be glad you did. Did you know that just one hour of blue light after the sun goes down can cause insulin spikes, sugar cravings, and throw off your melatonin production? It could be the reason why you're reaching for something sweet late at night. And virtually everyone I meet with tells me they wind down at night with a television or a little rectangle in their hand of some kind. So while I might not be able to have you get rid of that little rectangle in the evening, an easy and simple fix is blue light blocking glasses to block out that television, the smartphone, the tablets, those household LED lights, and even the fridge light if for some reason you need to be in the fridge after the sun sets. And Swanick Sleep makes my favorite brand. I watched my clients sleep transform and their late night munchies abate simply by wearing these glasses when the sun sets. You can get yours in the show notes below by visiting the Swanok website and using my code FIT410. That's F-I-T-F-O-R, the number 10, for 10% off your purchase. And just so you know, they have um, anti-blue light night lights for the kids' rooms and anti-blue light bulbs for your bedside lamp. Blue light doesn't have to destroy your health and you don't have to change your evening habits, just simply change your eyewear.